We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Stender, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. To share your thoughts about this podcast or others, please visit facebook.com slash jcastnetwork. If I were going to ask you uh, to name some of the practices, some of the customs, the rituals of any of the other holidays, Passover, Sukkot, they're very concrete, very specific ones. But someone tell me what Shavuot's rituals are. Dairy. Eating dairy. Eating dairy, good. Yeah. One day. Uh, uh, reading from the from the book of Ruth, yeah. Blintzes. Blintzes, okay, so eating cheesecake, eating blintzes. Late night study, good. Good. Flowers. Flowers, yeah. So, right, so... Uh, uh, Flowers are actually uh, uh, deeply rooted in Shavuot. It's uh, one of the customs in some senses that has been lost uh, in the modern application of Shavuot. But Shavuot, as it's talked about in the Torah, is uh, Chag Bikurim, is the holiday in which we bring the first fruits to the, to the temple. And so bringing flowers or, or baskets of fruit and adorning the synagogue with fruits is actually uh, a, a custom of Shavuot. Uh, many of the customs that you mentioned notably the Tikkun Leil Shavuot, studying late at night on Shavuot, and the custom of eating dairy on Shavuot, um, are not very well attested to in Jewish history. Uh, Tikkun Leil Shavuot uh, uh, seems to have been a practice of the medieval Kabbalists. Um, That's about as far back as we know of it. And the custom of eating dairy on Shavuot, the first reference that uh, I know of to it uh, is uh, to uh, Rabbi Moses Isserlis, who wrote essentially a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, the great code of Jewish law, uh, in which he uh, which he attests to the custom of eating dairy uh, on the uh, on the first day of Shavuot, but not the second day of Shavuot. He observed two days of Shavuot, uh, uh, but he but his custom of eating dairy was to, to just eat some dairy, but then also to have a meat meal after it, uh, because usually you're supposed to celebrate uh, a holiday by eating meat. For the all vegetarians, that's an uncomfortable uh, teaching in our tradition, uh, that there's no joy except for eating meat. So there you go. Um, but why is it, where did that custom come from to not eat, or excuse me, to eat dairy on Shavuot? When they received the Torah, they didn't have time to So that's great. I'm so glad you uh, you brought up that uh, that teaching, that tradition. Um, so there are two possibilities uh, accounted for in the tradition. One is that it's a commentary on a verse that alludes to Torah, uh, that its words are sweet like uh, like honey and rich like milk, um, which is also uh, maybe why uh, the land of Israel is called Eretz Zvat Chalav Udvash, the land flowing with milk and honey. It's a Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, because Torah comes forth from, from Zion. So it's uh, it, it may be contained in that illusion. But uh, I think the more prominent uh, explanation or interpretation is that when the, uh, just as Sharina said, when the uh, 
children of Israel received the Torah at Mount Sinai. Before that, um, they didn't have the laws of Kashrut. And, uh, and they received the Torah. They're, they're called upon to celebrate a holiday, but they didn't have time to, uh, to, to have, you know, to shecht animals and to uh, kosher the meat. Uh, and they didn't, uh, they didn't know uh, how to separate their dishes between meat and dairy yet. Right, and so uh, because of that, they said, "Okay, well, it's just going to be easier if we just have blintzes, right? If we just have cheesecake, that way we won't mess anything up. We'll learn this stuff, and then we'll do it right next time." Okay, um, it reminds me of uh, of this uh, one of my favorite rabbinic jokes. It's like rabbinic joke number one twenty eight. Okay, uh, and so. Uh, the commandment to not mix meat and milk, or to not cook a calf in its in its mother's milk, kid in its mother's milk, uh, occurs three times in the Torah. So the, the story goes like this: that Moses is on Mount Sinai, and God says to Mo- God is dictating the Torah to Moses, and God says to Moses, "Thou shalt not boil a kid in its mother's milk." And Moses says. Okay, so that means that we're not supposed to eat meat and dairy together. And God says, no, 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 Moses. Listen to me very carefully. Thou shalt not boil a kid in its mother's milk. And Moses says, I got it. I get it now. We're supposed to have separate dishes for meat and dairy. Got it. God says, Moses, Moses, listen to me. Thou shalt not boil a kid in its mother's milk. And Moses says, I got it. You're supposed to wait six hours after eating meat before eating milk. And God says, fine, Moses, have it your way. <laughs> and now we have the laws of kosher as we have them. But it begs the question of what actually was spoken at Mount Sinai? What was contained in the revelation at Mount Sinai? That's, I think, in some sense, the fundamental question. That, that's a rhetorical question, Gary. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it my own way, but I would love to hear your answer later. Um, um, I think, in some sense, that's the fundamental question of Shavuot, and I think it accounts for why there are no recognizable, formally established, tangible traditions of Shavuot. If you were to read carefully the Ten Commandments, as we are going to do in uh, just a few moments here together in the book of Exodus, you'll notice something peculiar about them. The first is, it's unclear how to number the ten, okay? But let's say we, uh, we account for them in, in the normal counting. The first two commandments are recognizably different than the last eight commandments, the first two commandments are spoken in the first person. The last eight commandments are spoken in the third person. So the first commandment, right? you, uh, I am the Lord your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Um, and the second commandment, you should not have any other gods before me. Uh, and depending on your accounting, the first might be a, a preamble. The second might actually contain two commandments. Um, so, that, so that depends on how you count the ten. Uh, Christians tend to count the second one as two and three with the first as a preamble. But the second one also contains don't uh, make a, a graven image. Okay? Right, Don't make any graven image of of God. But the first two are in first person, spoken in the first person. The last eight are spoken in the uh, in, in excuse me, I said third person. I meant second person. The last eight are spoken in the second person. 
they're uh, they're no longer uh, uh, or rather the the no third person right <laughs> they're uh, they're not they're not in God's voice speaking to the children of Israel they're rather about God and what God's commandment is to the children of Israel. A little bit after the actual giving of the Ten Commandments, we have a an interesting uh, narrative that uh, that the people uh, uh, hear the uh, the thunder and the lightning and, and all sorts of uh, and all sorts of noise. Uh, they uh, the people saw the thunder and lightning and the sound of the uh, shofar on the mountain smoking. They were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance. They said to Moses, you be the one to speak to us and we will obey, but let not God speak to us directly or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. The reason why God has come to te- the reason why God has come is to test you and in order that the fear of God will be upon you so that you will not sin. But the people stood at a distance. So Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. According to rabbinic tradition, in Mukdamu Melchar Torah, the Torah doesn't always follow in its narrative a strict chronology. So sometimes we encounter things, uh, in a, you know, in chapter fifteen in the Torah that actually occur before chapter ten in the Torah. Just the way the Torah tries to lay out the narrative, and so a lot of the rabbis say that this encounter, this encounter between Moses and the children of Israel actually happens between commandment 2 and commandment 3. That God speaks these commandments, and the people are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, that's a little bit too much. We thought we wanted to hear from God directly, that's a little bit too much. Moses, you tell us the rest of them. There are even traditions that God doesn't even speak really any of the commandments at all, but only the first letter, the first letter Aleph of Anochi, the, in some sense a silent letter, right? That God begins to utter the Ten Commandments and the people say, stand back and say, this is too much. Uh, hello, Akiva. Um, <laughs> that this is too much that we uh, don't want to hear uh, from God anymore. Uh, Moses, you speak the rest of us. There's a, I was talking with Cantor the other day, yesterday, I think, as we were singing uh, in preparation for Shavuot, uh, a verse from Deuteronomy, Torah Tzivat Lanu Moshe, Morasha Kihilat Yaakov. Uh, verse from Deuteronomy that says, uh, Torah that Moses commanded us, an inheritance uh, for the congregation of Jacob. And it's a strange verse. Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe. That Moses commanded us the Torah. Because our tradition generally says that who commanded us the Torah? God commanded us the Torah. What does it mean, Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe? That Moses commanded us the Torah. And a clever rabbinic commentary says Torah in that uh, in, in uh, the numerical equivalent of Torah is if you were to count up the letters using gematria, using this numerological system, is 611. How many commandments are there, do we say, in the Torah? 613. And so what they say is Torah tziva lanu Moshe Moses commanded us 611 of the commandments and God commanded us those first two commandments. Essentially, what our tradition is holding is that the core of revelation, the direct encounter between God and the Jewish people is actually very limited in nature. It is just a piece of the entirety of what we call Torah. The rest of Torah is a reflection on that revelation. 
is a continuation of that revelation. It's an attempt to contain that core message of God. I am the Lord your God. Be in relationship with me. Don't have any other gods. It's an attempt to identify the core of that message and expound upon it. What are the responsibilities, the specific responsibilities that that entails? What's incumbent upon me as a person in response to that core message of revelation? And what's incumbent upon us as a community, as a people, in response to that core message of revelation, of identifying God and being in relationship with God? In other words... And this is a paraphrase of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. The Torah is a report on revelation. The Torah itself is midrash about revelation. We hear the encounter at Sinai on Shavuot, but most of what we learn about that encounter is the midrash of that encounter, the interpretation of that encounter, an attempt to encapsulate that encounter and then say, here's what it means in practical terms for each of us in each of our lives. And that's why I believe that Shavuot has no set, identifiable, tangible customs. It's got no sukkah. It's got no seder. It, in the words of uh, uh, um, uh, an article of the foreword that uh, Shoshana Schechter uh, brought to our attention last night, Shavuot is a holiday of... Uh, Sex, books, and cheese. It's a holiday of embodied living. It's taking that core message of revelation and making of our lives a response to it. We are the ritual of Shavuot. Our lives are the tangible practice of Shavuot. Because we take of that revelation... And we make of our lives a response to it. We carry forward that message in our lives and we incorporate it into our daily being and we bring it out into our relationships with each other. We build communities centered on it and we hopefully build a world that reflects it. We don't have tangible practices in Shavuot other than eating dairy, maybe studying all night, because... We are the practice. And with that core message of revelation, as we gather to hear it once again today, let us remember that God's voice perpetually speaks to us and how we respond to it, how we construct our lives in relation to it, how we live, how we grow, how we treat each other. We make of our lives a Torah. We walk in God's ways. And we 